0: And if you will turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 9, we actually read this text for Advent this morning. We're going to be spending some time on Isaiah 9 in verses 6 to 7 this Christmas. Um, as Christmas time comes around every year, it's it's always difficult to figure out how to preach on the same text, the same prophecies, um, and do it in a way that's not the exact same way I did it the year before. So, um, hopefully this will be something that's a little bit unique for at least some of you. Some of you might have heard somebody take this approach, but we're going to be looking at some of these things that were told in this prophecy about the Messiah to come. So let's read the text real quickly, and we'll get into it as we're going to today look at Jesus being wonderful counselor. If you're able to stand, would you please stand honor God as we read his word? So verses 6 to 7 in Isaiah... Chapter 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this prophecy that, that was spoken hundreds of years before your, your son came, um, was born on that first Christmas day, Um, May we see in this prophecy the things that you revealed to Isaiah that were then spoken to the people that were then fulfilled in Christ. And Father, may he be the center not only of our Christmas as we celebrate this year, but also may he all year long every day, every week, every month, every year of our life be the center and the focus, the central figure that our whole life um, rests upon. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so I want to first... I want to first address a little bit of what we see at the beginning of the text um, in these two verses. The very first point in your notes is the one who is born king. We are first introduced to the messianic child um, that is to come in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, which we also read this morning. Um, God tells us people that um, as, as the people are anticipating the coming of the Messiah, and they don't know when that'll be, God tells us people that um, there's, there's no reason that you, necess- that you wouldn't necessarily know when the Messiah arrives, because I'm going to tell you exactly what you are to look for. God says this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Um, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Emmanuel means what? You can say it louder. Say it with confidence. God with us. So, God is, God has this plan to send the second person in the Trinity to be a a human being to walk among us. And so, hundreds of years prior to that, he prophesied that through Isaiah. It's this child that Isaiah refers to in our text today, in chapter 9, 6, and 7, when he says that a child is born and a son is given. It's this child, the Messiah, that Isaiah says the government will be on his shoulders. But, what government is he talking about as Isaiah is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, speaking the words of God, what government is he talking about that will be on the shoulders of this child? He could be talking about the government of Israel because Israel's a part of the Davidic covenant. The, you'll, you'll remember the promise to David was that David would always have a, a descendant to sit on the throne. But that would be any descendant of David that happens to be in the line and chosen to be king. But what Isaiah is speaking of here is not just any ordinary descendant. This isn't just someone in David's line. This is the Messiah to come. This is God's anointed. It's, it's, a different, it's different than any other person who would come and maybe sit on David's throne. David himself writing in Psalm chapter two about the governing rule of the Messiah said this in verses seven and eight, he said, He said to me, You are my son, today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So Isaiah is talking about the coming of the Messiah And when he's talking about governments, if we see it in the context that we see God spoke through David in Psalm 2, it is all of the nations of the earth that will be given to Christ. And so when Isaiah talks about the government being on the shoulder of this child, he's talking about the Messiah having an everlasting and eternal kingdom over all nations and all governments. And he compares that eternal kingdom of the Messiah with the earthly reign of Israel in the time of Judges, which we are in the middle of, right? We just took a break for Christmas. But if you just glance, this isn't part of our text, but just glance up a little bit before our text in chapter 9. In verse 3, he writes about God enlarging the nation and increasing their joy while he's referencing Gideon's defeat of Midian, which we just finished not very long ago. And so as God is taught as as the prophecy is coming and he's talking about the things that God has done, the things that God will do, he talks, he references Gideon defeating Midian and enlarging the nation. But those things are temporary victories. Think of the cycle that we've gone through as we've studied Judges. The people are delivered they're given military victory so that they can be delivered from oppression and there's a time of peace for a short time but the cycle continues they sin again and they're oppressed again so those victories even as, God, as even as there's a reference to the time of the judges in isaiah 9 those victories are earthly victories they're temporary victories because the nation of Israel was once again oppressed and their peace and their joy were not sustained. What God did in Judges temporarily was he shattered, these are the words of Isaiah, he shattered the burdening yoke that was across the shoulders of his people. But with the Messiah, with the child he's talking about here, an eternal rule of all nations will be on his shoulders Of his kingdom and his peace, there will be no end. And so at Christmas time, we quote this, um, we quote other prophecies, we sing all kinds of songs uh, to celebrate the birth of Christ, right? Because the Messiah has come. But have you ever stopped to notice how much of what we sing and how much of what we quote from the Bible? is not actually focused on his birth. I mean, we're gonna close with Joy to the World. Joy to the World is a song about his second coming. Sorry. Um, Pay attention to the words when we sing it um, at the end of the service. It's about his second coming. It's about his kingdom, when he comes as king. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a song that we'll do at some point. That's about Christ's deliverance from sin and death, which comes as a result of his death, resurrection, and his crowning as king. Our text today is quoted all the time at Christmas, and I think rightfully so. It's appropriate to do so, but it's not focused on his birth. The point of the prophecy is about his kingly reign and his second coming. So the question can be asked, how can it refer to... That, his king his kingdom, his second coming, his reign. How can it be referring to that when it speaks of a child born and a son given? But look at the language that Isaiah uses. Everything he uses is future tense. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called and all all the things that we read in the wonderful counselor, all those names. He will be called those things. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. He will sit on the throne of David forever. Now, we have the advantage of being post the timeline that happens in here to be able to see that when Jesus came his first time, all of those things did not come to pass. He did did not come to reign over all the nations his first coming. He did not come, he wasn't, he wasn't coming to take those titles, he was coming as a humble servant to lay down his life. He, he will, he, he is enthroned in heaven, but he has not finished the work that he is going to do that will bring about his reign over all nations, over all people, where all people will come and face him for judgment and acknowledge him to be king. So we have the advantage of being able to see that those things didn't all happen, so Isaiah is referring to something beyond that. So much of what we focus on during Christmas is his kingship and his kingdom. Now, the reason we're going to be looking at the titles he's given is because in ancient times it was common for a king to be given a title or maybe even take a title for himself. Kind of like a nickname that describes something about them. Some examples would be Alexander the Great. Um, he He wasn't named at birth Alexander the Great. That was something that people started calling him. Caesar Augustus. Augustus means magnificent. Um, William the Conqueror. You know, so so kings. It's common that they would either take a name for themselves, or they would be given a name by historians, or maybe even peop- maybe even contemporaries of the day. Jesus, who was to come and be King of all kings, is given four titles in, in our text that we're going to look at over the course of the next four weeks. The titles will be characteristic of what he, of who he is and what he will do, and so these are the titles. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So, what does it mean that Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor? Point number two in your notes, is that Jesus is a wise friend. Jesus, the wise friend. Jesus is one who, as he's given the title Wonderful Counselor, he's one who will administer judgment and justice as one with divine wisdom. With great wisdom and knowledge, he is going to rule his entire kingdom. So we we talked about how We've already talked about how he will be king over all things. He will reign over all nations. He's going to reign and rule that kingdom with great knowledge and wisdom. If you think about historical thrones, kings, they they would surround themselves with counselors, right? They so. Pharaoh had the magicians that he always consulted with every plague that came. Um, You see in the Old Testament line of kings, um, sometimes God would appoint a specific person like Nathan for David to be wise counsel for him to give the words of God to the king so that the king was hearing what what God wanted them to do, giving him direction on how to run the nation of Israel. And so... You see that in all of history. But Jesus will need no such person as he's not only king, but he's also prophet, priest, and the very word of God. So no human can offer him counsel. No human can know the mind of God or give him counsel. So Romans, Paul writes to church in Rome, he says in eleven thirty-three to 36, he says, oh, the depth, this is, this is, I love this, because Paul, who had such an intimate relationship with Christ and was willing to um, lay down his own life for Christ, says this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. So Christ's wisdom to rule is divine, which allows his kingdom to be an everlasting kingdom. Because if you're going to have an everlasting kingdom, you have to be wise. You have to have more than just human wisdom. It has to be divine wisdom. Earthly kings who followed unwise counsel sometimes watched their own kingdoms crumble underneath their feet. But no such thing will happen... During Jesus' everlasting reign, so he's called he's called wonderful counsellor he's going to be somebody who who rules and counsels with wisdom but I want to look at this word wonderful because there are components to it that I think we need to consider if we're going to consider how it is used to describe Christ so to consider the wonders of God he If if he's wonderful, he is a person who is full of wonder, right? He's a wonder of a counselor. So to consider the wonders of God or what makes God wonderful, we have to consider a couple of things. And the first thing is the miraculous. The second thing is the ordinary, because God shows us wonders through both of those. And consequently, Christ will as well. The wonder of the miraculous is, I think, obvious to all of us. If we read through the text of Scripture, we see things in, in our own world that don't seem to follow the order of creation. Because God has placed an order in creation, but at times it's necessary for God to intercede in his creation and override that normal order of things to accomplish his particular will. So we think of wonders... The wonders of God in terms of miracles when God puts a pause on the normal order of creation in order to demonstrate His sovereignty over that creation. A couple of examples that would be big examples that we could point out in Scripture would be the parting of the Red Sea. It's obviously an intervention in the normal order of creation, and the resurrection of Christ. So those, that's the miraculous, but those are the, I think those are the more obvious ones. But God is also wonderful. He shows his wonder in the ordinary, and I think that's equally important. God is a God of order, and he's created the universe to reflect that order in his character. God didn't just do the miraculous in creating the universe, nor does he just do the miraculous in intervening in his creation. He also does wonders in the ordinary by sustaining his creation. We think it's amazing that God split the Red Sea or that he raised Christ from the dead, but do we consider the impossible task that he does every single day to provide the necessities of life to all creation people, creatures, creation itself? He's promised mankind that he will provide what is needed each and every day, and he does. So we've seen how he sustains his creation to provide for the birds of the air, for the flowers of the field, for you and I, and everything that we need. And so he's not just wonderful because he does the miraculous, he's wonderful also because he does the ordinary. He he sustains his own creative order. And then there's a third component here, when we consider the use of the word wonderful as an adjective that's used to describe him. Because certainly the word means full of wonder, but when we use that word wonderful to describe things, we use it to describe all kinds of things. We use it in lots of different ways. So here's an English... 21st century English definition of the word wonderful, which I don't put as much stock in that as I put in allowing the Bible to define terms, but there's a reason for this. Here's how we define the word wonderful in our English dictionaries. Inspiring delight, pleasure, or admiration. Extremely good or marvelous. And then our dictionaries always have synonyms and things like that, right? So here are synonyms that are listed in that, in that entry. Marvelous, magnificent, superb, glorious, sublime, lovely, delightful. Now, I, I wanna say that this definition and these synonyms do not really carry the same meaning as if you think of breaking down the word wonderful to full of wonder, especially when you think about what wonder means in terms of what we see in God and Scripture. However, every component of that definition can be used to describe God. He's a God of wonders because of the miraculous. He has the power to create. He has the power to intervene in that created order. He's also a God of wonders because he has the power to do the ordinary by sustaining that creation and providing what's necessary for life. But he's wonderful because he does all of these things in this definition as well. He brings to our lives delight and pleasure and admiration. He's good and he's marvelous and magnificent and superb. He's glorious and sublime and lovely and delightful. All of that encapsulates how wonderful God is. He is a powerful yet loving Counselor. Because Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor. Counselor is one who gives guidance, which means you want your counselor to have wisdom, right? Again, if you're going to have an everlasting kingdom, you've got to have wisdom. It's got to be divine wisdom. It can't be earthly wisdom. If you want your counselor to give you good advice, to give you good direction, to give you good um um encouragement and 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 help you to see things according to truth then they have to be wise and it needs to be somebody with wisdom beyond human wisdom there's no one whose wisdom can stand against God's wisdom Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 says I am God there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. So God sent us a king who was all knowing to be counselor and give direction to his people. We do not have a king. Who makes the best decision under the circumstances, or who makes the best decision according to the facts known? Christ doesn't need to change direction because his first plan didn't work out. He's not using a human mind that's finite, fallen, and full of sin. But that's what we see all the time with human leaders, right? Human kings, whether it's, I mean, we could call them kings, or we could look at other major leaders like the Pope um, in Mormonism. they call the leader the prophet. We have presidents that are secular leaders here in our in our nation they all 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 leaders, all kings all all major players that lead groups of people in history declare something as truth or they pass something into law and later are forced to change their mind because. It's proven to be faulty. King Darius passed a terrible law and then realized how terrible the law was, and so he ended up changing it. He reversed it. Joseph Smith had more than one, and I'm going to put this in quote, prophecy as he was leading the Mormon church, had more than one prophecy that didn't come to pass, so the LDS church had to spin it so it didn't appear that the prophet was wrong. More recently, and maybe closer to home for us, we had our Supreme Court overturned a ruling from 49 years ago that they determined was the wrong ruling. And so all human leaders and governments declare things or pass laws and realize later this was terrible, and they go back and they have to change course. I don't want that kind of counselor. I don't want that kind of leader. I don't want a counselor that gives me advice on how to handle a delicate situation, and when his advice backfires and makes the situation worse, I don't want him to say to me, well, you can't win them all, so better luck next time. I want a counselor who is all-knowing, who has divine wisdom, because Jesus never has to do that. As God, is, as God is telling his people what is going to be coming in the future with the Messiah he will send, he tells them he's going to be a wonderful, so powerful, and he's going to be a counselor, he's going to be wise. He's the second person of the Trinity, so he's fully God as well as fully man, and his earthly life was directed by the Holy Spirit. So he offers the entire wisdom and counsel of God. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Sorry, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So God's wisdom directs his counsel, and that counsel never fails nor does his word return to him void. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, so shall be my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the reason his word never fails or returns to him unfulfilled is because of what Isaiah says right before those two verses when he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So all the wisdom and the knowledge of truth of all of life reside only within the mind of God. And that's the kind of counselor that I want. So Christ is an all-knowing and an all-powerful friend who walks with us. And that's the third component here that I want to talk about with the counseling side of this. You, you might remember, um, we talked about this um, Christ, well first of all, Christ promises that one of the promises in scripture is that after he ascends to heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell all believers. And you might remember when we did our um, study of the Holy Spirit when we were doing the parking lot services right after COVID hit. We took a break from Acts and studied the Holy Spirit together. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be a counselor. And we discussed in that study that the, the biblical concept of a counselor is a little bit different than what we imagine in our 21st century American mind because we tend to think of somebody who sits in an office and listens to your problems and gives you advice, right? The, the biblical concept of a counselor is someone who comes alongside us and walks with us through life, through the good and the bad times. So not only is Christ powerful, he's full of wonder. Um, And so that's the miraculous, the ordinary, and all of those adjectives we talked about. So he's not only powerful, and he's not only all-knowing and wise with the counsel of God, but he's also sent his spirit to live in us And he is, in the most true sense of a biblical counselor, one who walks with us and goes with us always. He never leaves us alone. He never leaves us to go through this life alone without him. All right, let me wrap up here. So when Jesus is called wonderful counselor, it means that he's all-powerful, sustaining the natural order, working miracles to interrupt that order in order to accomplish his will in your life. He's kind and he's loving and he's compassionate, which makes him concerned about your well-being. That's what makes him a great counselor because his compassion and his mercy and his love for us means he's concerned about the things that we're concerned about. He's not just aloof, up in heaven watching things go on, hoping that maybe we'll get we'll get it and fix it ourselves. He's down here in the nitty-gritty of our life. And that power and that compassion are guided by his unfailing wisdom that guides and directs our life. And I know sometimes we can wonder, like, where is God when we're struggling through something? Or we can think, oh. You know, I don't, I don't think he's answering my prayer. I don't, I, I, I don't have any direction. I'm reading scripture. I don't see what God is trying to teach me. I'm praying about this. Nothing seems to be changing. But what I want you to know is, in those times, when we think of Christ being a wonderful counselor, as he came to fulfill a purpose and his purpose was to come here for us. I want you to think of the great lengths that God went to to assure you of his concern for you and the promise of Scripture in those times. Because as we celebrate Christmas, we we, we do celebrate his birth. We talk about his kingdom a lot, but we do celebrate his birth. And these, that was the length that God would go to. God came in the flesh. So the promise of Scripture in those times is this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is a wise friend. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's compassionate and loving. All-powerful is great, but if you don't have godly wisdom, then it will be used wrong, power will be used inappropriately. Godly wisdom is great, but if he is not all-powerful, then he can't do much for us. And both of those things are great. But if he lacks compassion and love for us, then it will, it will leave us in a helpless state, separated from you for all of eternity. But Jesus is all three of those. He's a wonderful counselor that you sent because you couldn't bear to be separated from us for eternity. And we celebrate that this Christmas in Jesus' name.